Welcome back to the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. Um, today, we have a very special guest. I can't wait to introduce him. Get a little business out of the way first, and then I'll introduce you to our guest today. Um, support for the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped offers the best in supporting your men's grooming needs. As a special offer to my listeners, Manscaped will give you 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code BPB at manscaped.com. So Manscaped had hooked me up with their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, which includes their third generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0, which has a ceramic blade to help reduce nicks and cuts using their advanced skin safe technology. It's also got a built-in LED light and is waterproof. Uh, And that kit was their toner, which smells wonderful their anti-chafing deodorant, which is nice as well, and a uh, travel kit, travel bag. So nice little kit from manscaped.com. Again, 20% off with the code BPB at manscaped.com. Okay, 20% off free shipping, manscaped.com using the code BPB. Um, The next thing, it's a new one that, that we just started. If you look in the description box below, you'll see a link for bottomless coffee bottomless coffee will uh, ensure that you never run out of coffee for all of you addicts out there like myself. Um, They send you a Wi-Fi enabled scale. You put your coffee bag or container on there. When it runs low, they send you more coffee based on your uh, preferences that you determined beforehand. So we all benefit if you do that. If you sign up, you get a free bag. I also get a free bag. So this is really about helping me with my coffee addiction. So you get a free bag, but it also does benefit me and my uh, coffee habit. So I'd appreciate that. Um, If you are looking for other ways to support the channel, I'll leave a link below for the Patreon monthly membership. If you're not wanting to join, you can buy the Barrel Proof Baseball Etched Glen Karen or the Irish Whiskey or Bourbon Ceramic Coins. All right. Also check out our friends at walk-offs and whiskey. I always mention those guys and they're doing a great job. Really excited for them. They're gaining followers on social media very quickly and very deservingly. So check those guys out walkoffs and whiskey.com and walkoffs and whiskey on Instagram. All right. That's all I got for that. Uh, today's guest, we are joined by Mitchell Hansen. Now Mitchell, who I don't know if you're going to find a better dude, a more quality human than Mitchell, uh, outstanding guy, wonderful person, and as humble as possible. Now, Mitchell was a second round draft pick in 2015 by the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he was released in 2018 um, and then was re-signed pretty quickly after by the New York Yankees, uh, finished out the season there, and then at the before the next spring training was released by the Yankees. So Mitchell, who had committed to Stanford out of high school, uh, turned down going to Stanford and and ended up signing with the Dodgers and, you know, wanted to go back to school. And so Mitch was a outstanding athlete in high school, still is, um, as a, as a very good athlete, who was a two sport athlete. Um, he also excelled in football and had a lot of offers in football and he chose the baseball path. Um, you know, given the fact that he was a second round draft pick. So he played his professional baseball. When that was over, he, you know, decided to go back to college. And so now he is actually playing football. Uh, He's a tight end playing for TCU. So 
Mitch's story about you know, the perseverance, um, the, I guess, letdown of being a high pick, you know, being released before um, he was anticipating, you know, being released, uh, and then moving on to the next phase of his life, which I know is a, is a difficult thing for a lot of athletes to do is moving on to a, a second stage in their life. <clears throat> so what I think Mitch is doing is incredible. Um, moving from the baseball side to now he's a student playing football, you know, the potential for him to um, move forward in his football career, as well as as a student, um, is going to set Mitchell up for the long-term success that I think anybody that knows him would not be surprised that he's going to be experiencing this success throughout his life because he's a terrific guy, um, hard worker, and just somebody that you you really root for because he is such a good guy. And he's just, uh, it's really awesome to see that he made that commitment to get his degree go back to school and he's, and he's actually following through and doing it. And I think it's uh, very commendable that Mitchell's doing that. So um, this is an episode that I think a lot of players, young players would really enjoy. Um, I think it's a episode for players of all ages to check out and kind of hear what Mitchell's path was like, because he was a very highly touted player out of high school. Um, and he, you know, again, he was a, a high draft pick and now he's got an opportunity to play football at, you know, power five school. So check this episode out. It is fun for me because it's a long conversation, but the first half is baseball, football, school, and then we get to talk a little whiskey at the end. So it's always fun kind of shooting the breeze, if you will, uh, with somebody I've gotten to know over the last few years uh, about his journey into whiskey and his newfound enjoyment of it. So um, check it out. If you're interested in the baseball, football part, check the first half. If you're not, go to the second half and listen to some whiskey talk. So uh, Mitchell Hansen, enjoy this one. All right. Today we are joined by Mitchell Hansen. Mitchell, thanks so much for joining us, man. It's good to see you again. Of course. I'm happy to be here. So we've got, we've got a lot of things to, uh, to talk about here. I'm pretty excited. Once we, once we talked, once we started chatting on Instagram and then, uh, and then some text, man, I got, I got pretty excited to have our conversation. Yeah. I'm glad to touch base. Uh, and I'm, and I'm honestly jealous of you starting this up because I'm a huge like YouTube guy. Like I watch a ton of YouTube videos right now. And so just the whole podcasting, throwing up on YouTube, just talking about whatever you like, whiskey, football, baseball, like it's, it's honestly awesome because everyone wants to do it. Everyone wants to start their own podcasts, but to actually do it buy the equipment, dive all in, like that's pretty impressive. I appreciate it. It's definitely, uh, it's weird. It's like intimidating because, you know, it's not like not something you think about like oh i'm gonna start a podcast or whatever like but then you start talking to people and it's like there's there's some really cool people that have some cool stories to tell and like it's a cool avenue to uh to use to talk to those people so yeah i totally. appreciate it all right so 2015 second round draft pick by the dodgers 67th overall yeah. out of plano high school yep right yep. okay so i wrote my stuff down football you played played football and baseball right Mm -hmm. did okay so let's get into that a little bit like was there a time where you had to kind of make a decision did you have opportunities out of high school to continue playing football or did you I mean I know you had committed to Stanford as a sophomore mm -hmm. right yes mm -hmm. so did you have opportunities with football or did you have to make that decision to stick with baseball or how did that go for you a lot of my life um, I wanted to play both in college that was a goal 
Um, and so growing up through middle school and early in high school, just maybe my freshman year, I was still kind of pursuing that avenue. Um, my sophomore year of high school, um, I had a huge year at, at wide receiver, um, led our district in like receptions, touchdowns, or um, just had a great year. And uh, so I had some looks, a couple of teams, uh, college teams reaching out. I think Ole Miss was kind of the, the main one that I was speaking to a little bit. But um, soon I kind of realized, I was like, hey, I, I want to go straight baseball. And so I, in a way, I kind of just told like any football team that was interested, like, just don't bother. I want to go straight baseball. So um, those calls quickly like faded out. But um, yeah, I love football. Football was always a passion growing up as well. And uh, playing both in high school um, at a high level. Um, one thing that, you know, as a freshman, me and a buddy, uh, Sam Tecklenburg, which he's playing for the Panthers now. Um, but we were the second and third guy to ever start on varsity as a freshman at Plano High School. And the first guy was Rex Burkhead. And he's a Super Bowl champion, 10-year mm -hmm. vet, you know, in the, in the, in the league. So um, I was fortunate enough to, you know, play both at a high level and with the passion. Um, but once I got closer to my senior year and I kind of, you know, figured out dr the draft was a real possibility, um, kind of put football on the back burner, just played for fun and, uh, and just wanted to go straight baseball. How, how difficult was, you know, I mean, obviously Stanford's a incredible school. How difficult was that decision? You know, once you got drafted, like first talk about like the draft, like you hear your name called, you know, you're in the second round, you know, did you know right then that you wanted to sign or was there a, was that a process to make your decision between signing and going to Stanford? Uh, it was a process. And honestly, I would probably uh, go back to uh, right before my senior year, you know, you, you have all the all American games, the USA baseball stuff. And so I was fortunate enough to do um, all of those. And we played in Mexico for the 18U um, USA games. And so we, oh, it's kind of funny. So I missed the first six weeks of my senior year of high school um, because we were in Mexico playing. And so um, I actually like, D like I, I, I dropped out of high school essentially. And my counselor just says, Hey, just re-enroll six weeks later. It'll just make everything easier. Like making up all the classwork and stuff. So I kind of like dropped out, re-enrolled six weeks later. Um, and because of that, I was going to play my senior year, uh, of football, but missing the first six weeks of the season, you know, it's not fair to my teammates and stuff. And also after that, I realized, Hey, I'm getting, some pretty serious looks in the draft. And so we decided um, to not finish my senior year out of, high, of, of football. But um, so, yeah, so going through my senior year, I kind of realized the draft was a possibility. But man, my entire, my entire life, my parents preached school, get your degree. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I picked Stanford because, you know, it was the best of both worlds. Uh, I got the academics and the, and the baseball. So I always thought I was going to go to school. And then it, it wasn't till probably a couple of weeks before the draft. Um, I kind of, you know, my agent was telling me, hey, maybe first, second round. And that was a possibility. And, you know, you get your number and all that. Um, and I kind of realized, I was like, okay, this is the best way to reach my dream of making the major leagues. You know, going early as a high school kid rather than risking it in college. And, you know, I had some friends. I had some tough experiences, you know, having – um, a, a down freshman year and never like seeing the lineup again. So, you know, I was like, this is the, you know, opportunities God given me of getting drafted high enough. And um, 
I kind of, I, I wanted to go, uh, out of high school. Given, I mean, I know this is a kind of a loaded question at the time, but given, you know, where you're at now, we can get in, we'll get into that obviously, but like everything you've been through and knowing that that was your ultimate goal, like, would you say that was the best decision for you at the time of signing? Or do you think going to school again, like your second round, it's not like some of the guys that are going in the, you know, out of high school in the 15th round. I mean, you've got a sure. substantial financial commitment that, you know, a team's giving you. And it's like, mm -hmm. am I going to say no to that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I would definitely say yes. I'm, I'm glad I made a decision. I think it was the right decision. Um, and, and one of those reasons is because I have this opportunity to come back to school at a young enough age to play football. And so that was honestly always plan B. Now, I never wanted to get to plan B, right? I wanted to play 20 years in the show, but um, life doesn't always work that way. And so um, I'm extremely grateful for all the relationships I had and the people I met and you know the experiences I got. Um, and even though it didn't work out in the way I thought it was going to, um, I, I would, I would go back and, and do it again the same way. That's great, man. What now when you, so, so you sign, you make your decision, right. You're mm -hmm. heading out to, uh, heading to Camelback ranch, you know, what's yeah. that, what's that like for you? I mean, coming out of high school, you know, just getting into professional baseball and, and all of that with, you know, with the Dodgers organization, I mean, it's it did, uh, been having a really good run and, you know, things were in a good place. So what, what's that like for you as a high school kid getting into that situation? I was extremely excited. Um, you know, my agent, um, did a great job of just preparing me at the process, the draft through the pre-draft workouts. Um, and so I was just excited to go and, you know, being on the USA baseball team, most of us got drafted and high enough where we, we went right away. So I had some friends, um, of course, in the same scenario and stuff. And so I was extremely excited, you know, ready to get after it. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was, it was a really almost quick and exciting time where I honestly don't remember the first like couple of weeks, you know, right after getting drafted and getting thrown into the organization and stuff. But, um, ACL was fun. It, it's a drag at times, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's a tough, it's a tough way to start, but it makes affiliate ball just that much sweeter. Um, and then also just the different people you get to play with in the ACL where the guys get just getting drafted or the, um, young Latin American guys, um, you know, all of the above. So, um, I definitely love that, that experience just kind of getting thrown into the fire. Yeah. That's a, uh, ACL is a different, it, it really, I mean, it's a different animal. You're t like you said, you've got Latin American kids who are, you know, 17, 18 years old, making their first trip to the United States, you know, guys coming yeah. right out of high school, college, you know, and then you get your big league rehab guy coming in and you see everybody all wide eyed, you know, when you've got yeah, somebody like sure. that playing with them and yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's definitely a transition, but it's a good, I think it's a good way to transition guys into professional baseball before, you know, sending them out to an affiliate. What's your, what was your kind of take in terms of once you got into just the full swing of things? Like, you know, you kind of understand how the process goes, you get your first year in the AZL, you know, you get to instructs, um, you know, what is that process? Like, what are you, what kind of challenges did you find that maybe you hadn't dealt with before, you know, coming from an elite high school and being an, an elite player at that level? Yeah, my first year in the ACL was tough. You know, I, I didn't have good numbers. Um, and, you know, at first I was kind of upset because, so one thing that I did wish I would have done differently is, you know, going through all the pre-draft workouts and the showcases, um, you know, like I was a guy that had that had my hitting, my hitting guy and we would hit once or twice a week, every single week. And so he knew me so well and 
could help me, you know, tune my swing up. And so when I had those pre-draft workouts and the showcases and for honestly a month, I didn't, you know, train my swing. And so in a way, um, when I got to AZL, I was just out of whack. And, you know, one of the philosophies that Dodgers had was to not touch you in terms of your swing at all your first year, um, which I think in some ways is really good. But in some ways, I was super frustrated because I was struggling. I was like, I need help. I'm a guy that loves instructions. Um, I need someone to say, hey, I, I see you doing this, doing that. And so um, I just kind of felt out of whack. And it, that was a tough first season for me. I wasn't performing well, you know. Um, long time not being at home. And so it, it was a, it was a tough first season, but it was a good learning experience. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I was excited that next spring to kind of make some changes and just show, okay, this is the player I am, not what I showed last season. So, okay. So you get through your first year, you get some learning opportunities and then, you know, coming into spring training, you know, kind of take me through the next just couple of years, like generally speaking in terms of, you know, some of the ups and downs that you've gone through and then, um, you know, finally getting out to an affiliate and what, what the, that's like for you kind of getting that change uh, of scenery from, you know, being able to leave Arizona. Yeah. Um, Ogden, you know, was my first affiliated experience. Um, and, and that was sweet. I mean, that, that place, the ball flies, it's a super hitter friendly league. Um, first time being out in an affiliate, you got fans, you know, all the above. And so I, I, I loved it. And then it's also coming off of that extended spring training I had, um, that same year I was raking. And so that always makes it a lot easier. Right. So, um, honestly from like, um, May or April till halfway through short season, like I, I never slumped once, like it was un unbelievable. And so that always makes it easier. Um, but then also that first year, we had a really good Ogden team. Um, you know, we had Cody Thomas and DJ and I in the outfield, which was super fun. And then all the pitchers that came through. And, and so a lot of guys that, you know, are playing um, with, with the Dodgers now or in AAA. Um, so we had, a, we had an awesome team. So that was an extremely fun, fun year. Um, and so affiliate ball is just nice. It, it feels like you're kind of back back, you know, playing back our baseball again, back playing, you know, in summer ball or whatever, where you get fans, you get the every day and it's not the, you know, practice on the AZL. And so it was, it was, it's definitely an easier, um, more, more fun kind of uh, baseball experience. So you go through the next, what's that? 16. So 2018, right. You got released in 18 by the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. And then a week later, right about a week later, get picked up by the Yankees. Mm -hmm. So what's that like getting the, Hey, you're getting released. Is there a moment of like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden the New York Yankees come calling. Yeah, that, that was a tough, tough moment for sure. Um, you know, it definitely hit me by surprise. Um, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't expect it. I thought I, you know, I kind of got released a little bit early compared to some other guys in my position. Um, but you know, that wasn't God's plan. Um, but you know, I wasn't, I was just in shock. I wasn't worried about what am I going to do next? Um, I knew it was, it was early enough in my career, um, where I was going to get a second opportunity. So I wasn't worried of that. I was just kind of trying to take everything in. Um, but one thing I'm glad that, that I did throughout my career 
is, you know, regardless of the ups and downs you go through in baseball and, you know, we all know how tough baseball can be, but to still, you know, be a good teammate, you know, the Dodgers always preach that is be a good teammate. And that's something, you know, that comes easy to me. I love to um, try to be the same person day in and day out, regardless of, you know, how you're doing at the plate. And so just the relationships and the guys I got to, you know, become close friends with and um, the coaches that, you know, got to speak into me and teach me. And so all those experiences, you know, regardless of, you know, my time at the Dodgers being cut a little early, I still loved, you know, every second with them. But yeah, I got released on the, you know, halfway point of the season and then got picked up with the Yankees and then got shipped out to their single A um, over in Charleston. So what's the... I guess it's probably unfair to ask you to compare them, but like, did you find similarities or differences between the two organizations? I mean, they're two very obviously successful organizations. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what's the transition like going from, you know, the, the team that had drafted you and you had been there for four years and then going to a new organization. Yeah, they're, they're similar. Cause they're obviously, you know, big market teams, but they were extremely different um, and not all, you know, you know, bad ways, but, you know, the Dodgers are super new age in technology and coaching, um, communication. And so in that way, Dodgers are awesome. For the Yankees, we're almost stuck in the past a little bit with um, that that scenario. But, you know, that might be an unfair opinion because I didn't get to go to spring training with them where I got to – I only got, you know, the one hitting coach and, the you know, that that only um, uh, place that we were at. Mm -hmm. Um their strength uh, training was way different too. You know, the Dodgers we have, you know, like we had on our phone and they had to tell us this, this, this we do. And with the Yankees, when we were go to an away uh, park, they were like, all right, work out for an hour. You can do whatever you want. I was like, what? You can do whatever you want. Like, are you kidding me? If I didn't front squat, the Dodgers would, you know, like they would go crazy. But um, so, and in those ways they were different, you know, Yankees were a little bit more um, old school. Um, you know, you had to be clean shaven, all that stuff. Dodgers, there's almost no rules except be a professional, which I really like. Um, but they uh, were great experiences and, and just gave me opportunity to get at bats. So, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't critique on them too hard. So, sure. um, but, but I like my time there. Um, that league kind of like what Midland was like. It's, it's, it's a tough hitters park. Mm -hmm. Um you know, the Charleston River Dogs, that, that, that field is huge and the ball like does not fly at all. But, um, but again, there is some awesome teammates on that team that I got to know. And um, so, you know, I, I love my time there. So you get done the Yankees uh, the following spring training or, or before spring training get released? Before spring training. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, then, got, got, got that call. And then, yeah, it's weird. Like we talk about it, but it's very, um, like everybody's been through that and it's the weirdest thing. Cause sure. like yeah. you're either, you're either getting the call that you're released or you're retiring on your own, you know, and like everybody wants to retire on their own, but like at some point, yeah. you know, you're going to be released and you're going to be fired. And you know, it's a, yeah. it's the part of the business that sucks. It's just the reality of it when you, when you get into it, you know, and it's like, you don't really think about it at the time, but it's like, man, this is going to end somehow. And I don't know if I want this to, or how this is going to end. Yeah, I, I was getting my report. I was waiting for my report date in January. Um, and I finally get a call and I was like, oh, great. I was like, hey, how's it going? Like, good to hear from you. And he's like, ah, yeah, you know, th these are always tough. You know, it's not, it's not been a good day. 
And I'm like, oh no, that's that's not good. I was I was waiting for yeah, show up in three weeks. Can't wait to have you. And mm-hmm. and and they re-signed some Rule Five guys, and so there just wasn't a spot for me. And sure. Um, and that that's just how the business goes, you know. Yeah. So then you so it's in uh, nineteen January nineteen February. Yeah, yeah, January nineteen. Mm-hmm. And then end up uh, signing with uh, was it Evansville in the Frontier yep, League. Evansville. You want to play independent mm-hmm. ball. Yep. What was that? What was that like? So how, when did, when did you get out there to, to Evansville? You know, when did, uh, what, what's that transition like going from, you know, affiliated ball with two good organizations to, mm-hmm. you know, independent ball where you've got a big mix of players that are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I got out to them end of April. Um, so that was tough. Just that extra two months of an off season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love my time at Indy ball just because, you know, there's no moving up and down. Like you got one team and that's it. And so the camaraderie and the willingness to win um, that gets lost in pro ball a lot of times is is there. And so that was really cool. Um, also, it was it was it was cool because you know the different people that are coming to any ball. You got you know good D1 guys that just didn't get drafted. They're coming over. You got affiliated guys that got released and you know trying to. Uh, restart their career um, you got some maybe d2 d3 guys that are that are studs just didn't get you know looks at d1 and just want to keep playing you know so there's a huge mix of guys and um, and on my team there was a probably two or three other affiliated guys but you know it was always funny like going in the locker room and you know I have my Dodger bag on and everyone's like oh this guy played pro ball like this guy played affiliated so in that way that, that was pretty funny um and also, I kind of felt like the old guy, too. I mean, I guess I was, I, you know, I was in pro ball a little bit. But um, with the Dodgers, you know, I was a high school kid. So I had always I was a young kid. And then the roles kind of switched. And I was more the old guy, someone that's been to affiliated ball. Um, so it was a way different dynamic. But like I said, the, the way of just the willingness and wanting to win over stats, you know, of course, everyone wants to get picked up. But it's more of like, no, it's, we're trying to win the championship, you know? Uh, so that was super refreshing and, and, and um, it, cool to experience again. I, I felt my independent ball experience was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Me getting picked up was definitely weird. Um, and getting how I got signed and how I got released, like it was all very weird, but um, I definitely think that there is a place for independent ball, especially now there's gonna be, it sounds like there's gonna be more with the loss of some of the minor league, you know, affiliates. And I think it's going to give guys some opportunities because I remember getting out there and watching guys play that were at like some D2, D3 that I'd never heard of. And I'm like, this guy is a real dude, like a real dude, like really, really good. How does, how is he not playing in the SEC? And, you know, you, you start to hear guys stories about where they were at and how they didn't get seen or didn't get picked up. And, you know, our college guys that, that just didn't get an opportunity to be signed, you know, in the draft or whatever it was. And, um, it's very eye-opening and I felt the same thing when I got to the Dodgers about like the Latin American players you know you always hear about the you know perfect game guys and the guys that are on the, the circuit here yeah. doing the showcases you know and then you got a 17 year old coming up from the Dominican and you're going wait a second like that does not look like a 17 year old that I've seen here because he can do some pretty yeah. special things you know yeah uh, another thing that's super cool with uh, indie ball is like in Evansville and just like other places where you're at affiliated ball, where like the town super, super uh, supports you, you know, 
we're an indie ball and me coming from the Dodgers, the Yankees, you know, it's easy to think this is like a step down. And in some ways it is, but you know, the, the town doesn't think that the town thinks you're the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Mm -hmm. I remember after like a huge series win, you know, the whole team uh, went to this like bar area, whatever. And they're like, and the Evansville Otters are in the house and everyone's going (laughs) crazy. I'm like, what is this? We're an indie ball guys, but it it doesn't matter, you know? Mm -hmm. So in in that way, it it was super fun to kind of experience that. It's, I think it, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think there are so many cool opportunities for one. I think that just in general, baseball provides a lot of really cool opportunities, whether it's, you know, being able to see the country, you know, getting to meet people from different countries or different parts of the United States, you know, get to travel. Like there's a lot of opportunities, I think, within baseball that are um, fairly unique and, and it, it provides a very cool opportunity for people that, that get into it. Yeah, definitely. So what at what point did you start to think or did you know the whole time like at what point did you start to think about going back to college or going to college you know is that something that when you signed you kind of had thought you know at some point you'd like to go back to college obviously after your career ended you know hopefully 20 years down the road but is that something you had thought about or was that something that just started to come to mind you know at a specific point in time you know um right when I got drafted I would say you know, I didn't care to go back to college because the goal was always play 20 years. Right. So at that point, it didn't bother me if I went back or not. Um, But after I got released from the Yankees, that's when I started to reach out to some schools and some teams um, because that's when I was like, okay, this is, you know, I'm going to give it one last chance at any ball. If I don't get picked up, you know, it's time to, time to hang it up. So, you know, after I got released from the Yankees, I, I reached out to, you know, Texas, TCU, SMU and I reached back out to Stanford um, and so just going through all those processes um, of you know the applications and the talking with the head coaches or the OCs or whatever um, and so what it got down to was if I was gonna um, I wanted to stay close to home but if I if I wanted to go somewhere else and I was like okay I'll go to Stanford and that's always my dream school and so you know, Stanford obviously is extremely tough to get in. So I was, you know, had to be in constant contact with the football team is like, Hey, is this a possibility? Can y'all help me get in? And they're like, yeah, we'll do the application, do it. Well, we'll put in a good word for you and we'll see what happens. So, um, but they said their numbers for that incoming class of that fall. So 2019 fall um, was pretty high. And so, if even if I did get accepted, it might be for that next year where I would have to wait six months and come in the summer. And so that was, you know, I wanted to get admitted that fall. I didn't want to wait another six months. I was kind of ready to get my life going, you know? And so that was if I was going to not stay close to home. And so then I looked at SMU and TCU. Um, and then I eventually was deciding between Stanford and TCU because, you know, big 12 football, you know, highest, I wanted to see how I could play at the highest level. I didn't want to just go play football to go play football. Um, and so that's what it kind of came down to is those two, those two schools. And, you know, my, my parents and I were kind of at different, like my dad really wanted me to go back to Stanford just because the amazing opportunities that it is, which I a hundred percent agree. Um, and then I was like, yeah, but I mean, TCU is an amazing school too. I could be an hour from home. I just spent, you know, five years of my life being away from home, away from my long-term girlfriend. I was like, you know, 
what do I want my next five, four years to be like? And so that was a, definitely a huge decision. Um, those, you know, three, two, three months after getting released from um, Indie Ball. So you finally, you decided on TCU, obviously. Mm-hmm. And what is that, you know, what's that like? Like you've gone from, well, for one, you, you go from professional baseball and, you know, a different type of a uh, rule system, I guess you'd say, um, or just a different way of like communicating with guys or, or just interacting with coaches or what have you um, mm-hmm. into a college setting that is traditionally filled with like more rules and more, um, a little bit more strict type of living, I guess you'd say, um, yeah. you know, what's, what is that like for you? Go, I mean, and, and it's not to say like, you know, I know you, so it's not like you're, you're going, okay, well now I have to like tone it down or anything like that, but you're going yeah, from a sure. professional environment to a college environment. And it's just inherently different. Yeah. It, it's extremely different. Uh, and one funny story, um, is, you know, when we're home or we're on the road, um, regardless, we always stay in a hotel for, for our games. And if it's an early game, you know, seven or 11 AM, um, we're supposed to give the coaches our phones. And the first time I heard this, I was like, like, are we serious? I'm like, I'm a grown man. Like I, I can go to bed whenever I want. Like, I don't need to give you my cell phone, you know? So like that, that was like one, like funny rule that that's just what's like in college, you know? Um, and that obviously I had to abide by, but, um, yeah, it's extremely different, you know, and, in a lot of ways or in all ways, almost pro ball helped me because I had that professional mentality where, um, you know, the Dodgers taught us how to do all that, you know, like every day before, um, games, practice, whatever with the Dodgers, you had to, you had to do your pre morning routine. You had to roll out, you had to stretch, you know, you had to get your body ready for the day. Whereas, you know, college football, we're practicing every day and dudes are just rolling right from class or right from lunch and then just putting on their pads and going up. And I, and at first I was like, like, don't y'all need to stretch? Like, don't y'all need to like roll out? Like, man, my body hurts right now. Like I need to go do something in the weight room or I need to get ready, you know, for the day. So, um, in those ways I was able to, you know, prepare myself in different ways that some of these, you know, 18, 19 year olds that don't do, and they just, they just haven't learned it yet. But, you know, being 24, I kind of have already been through it and, you know, kind of know what I need to do to get ready. So what has so far, um, you know, you're what a year in now, what, what has, are you full year? A uh, year and a half. Year and a half. Is it two? No. Two. So I started the uh, fall of 19. Oh, okay. so yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit. So did you, okay. So 19, did you, what was your status in terms of football? Did you redshirt the fall of 19? Uh, technically redshirted just because okay. if you don't play you everyone redshirt so technically yeah so i'm technically a uh redshirt freshman okay going on to my redshirt sophomore year i believe okay but i'm not going to use all five or you know six with covid now so mm-hmm. not that it really matters but i have um i'm a sophomore now and i'm going to graduate a semester early mm-hmm. so I, I essentially have two more football seasons left what's what has the I mean, how is it now going, going for one, like school, like what's going to school, like after going through, you know, professional baseball and now you're, you're back to being a student. Yeah. Um, you know, once I, once I got drafted, I was like, great, I'm never going to write a paper again. (laughs) I'm done, you know, like no more finals. Um, 
English is definitely the one that was like, I just, I can't, I'm not a reading writing guy. I'm a, I'm a math analytical, like that's just how I think. Um, so at times it's tough, but again, coming from that professional mentality, um, it, you know, school hasn't been that difficult. And I mean, I've, I've always been a good student. Um, both my sisters were great students. And so at a young age, I, you know, looked up to them and they, it was almost expected to get good grades. And then also in high school, uh, my friends were super competitive and that includes in the classroom. So like, I wasn't trying to be that one, you know, kid in the friend group that, you know, didn't make good grades. So in that way, that really helped me um, in high school, but you know, it's, it's also easier um, in college when you're older because the social setting isn't important to me. Um, You know, I'm four or five years older than a lot of these people. And so the need to, you know, go out on weekends or, do this, do that isn't as important. And if I need to just do football in school, um, I can do that, no problem. So, you know, just putting the time in needed to get good grades, but surprisingly it hasn't been as hard getting back into school as I thought it would be. What do you, what are you majoring in? Uh, finance. Okay. What, so what's, what is the, um, what is the football side like? Is it, I mean, physically, mentally, like, what is it like? Cause I, I mean, the mental grind of baseball, obviously, and like the day-to-day, um, you know, going through a long season, I'm sure is one thing, but there's probably a totally different physical toll that it takes on you, uh, you know, playing football, especially at that level. I mean, you're in the big 12, like that's no joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that? What's that been like so far? Well, the, I remember the first, uh, two weeks. Um, so our Tuesdays practice during season is our longest practice. It's, you know, five minute periods and we go for 24 periods. So it kind of, it's like two hours, but then we have a bunch of like pre-practice stuff that takes a while. Um, regardless, I was, I remember after my first Tuesday practice, because also, you know, that previous summer I was playing baseball and then stopped and I was working out for the next two months, getting ready for football. But the, the running and, and I came in as a receiver, so I was running routes on practice. So I remember after um, that first practice, I, I could barely walk to my car just because my body was so broken down, um, running, sprinting, you know, get, having to get through linebackers, whatever, for mm-hmm. two straight hours. Um, I was not ready for that. And so but it's definitely you get you get over that, you know, the body recovers and it, and it learns. Um so it, it hasn't been as bad at times, but, you know, I mean, I'm 24, about to be 25. I got some aches and pains that, you know, a lot of people do and, um, but not a lot of 19 year olds do. Mm-hmm. So I have to do a lot just to, you know, make sure my knee feels good, make sure my, you know, my, my glutes are firing, like just different things that, that I need to, that I know I need to do to perform well and to, you know, run fast and everything. So. Um, you just kind of learn that as you, as you do going through pro ball and, um, and you kind of get through the day. I have to imagine that's a, that's gotta be a huge advantage for you. Having been through that, that, like you said, 18, 19 years old, you know, you kind of, you give it a little like crack of the back and you're, you're ready to jump out there and go play. And yeah, you know, once you've been through it a little bit and you know how, how important it is to prepare your body, that's gotta be a, a big, uh, a big advantage for you, you know, having that experience. Yeah, it, 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 it was ahead, hard. Um, I remember also, you know, in high school, I played receiver, um, and the, but I also played quarterback. Um, 
But when I played receiver, I was an outside receiver. And what I didn't realize coming back um, now, now I'm an inside receiver. Like it's a bit, well, inside receiver slash tight end. And so when you're an inside receiver, you have linebackers to deal with. You have roll down safeties to get around. You have, you know, people bumping you in your routes. And when you're an outside guy, you just have your corners. That's, that's kind of it. So, you know, I didn't know how it, it was a, it was a fun learning process. Like that first year, um, I came in late, I came in after fall camp. And so I was pretty much just stuck on scout team the whole year, but that actually was extremely well. Like it helped me because I got to go against our starting defense every single day in practice. So it's almost like I got, you know, five game reps or game days a week, um, you know, learning how to beat coverages, read coverages, um, get around guys. And so it was, it was um, fun to learn the difference of outside, inside. Um, and it was fun to almost like compete every single day against our starting defense coming back. And so, you know, that was always super important to me was just competing. You know, I didn't want to hang up the spikes and then just go to school and, you know, go get a job. You know, I was young enough and hungry enough where I, you know, sports is always in my blood and competing is in my DNA. And I just wanted to keep that going. So um, it, all that and football allowed me to continue that process. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Like you go from, you know, I mean, everybody wants to be drafted out of high school and get drafted out of high school and you go play professional baseball. And, you know, then you get an opportunity to go play football in the big 12 where, you know, a lot of guys really dream of going and playing football at a high level. Like that's really cool that, like you said, you've got that competitiveness, but also the skill and ability to compete at that level. I mean, that's, it really is, it's pretty special. When last year you guys got 10 games in or so, is that right? Uh, we finished, I think we got nine games. No, nine we got games? 10. I think we got, okay. we got a full 10, which is, which is surprising. How many, uh, how many games did you get in last year? So last year I got to uh, finally get on special teams, um, which is huge, which kind of a funny story. So, you know, my first year, like I said, I was on scout team. I came in late. So like there's, there's no time to, to get on the field once the season started. You have to do that in spring ball and fall camp. And so the next year um, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, you know, work my way up the depth chart. I had some seniors in my position. So I knew playing, at receiver was going to be limited. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to get on special teams. And so, you know, fall camp comes and goes and my name never comes up for special teams. And finally I go to our special teams coordinator. I was like, Hey, I, I would love to get on special teams. You know, um, I, I work extremely hard. I'll do whatever it takes. Like I'll get my job done. And he was like, Oh man, like, yeah, we love you. Like we, we know you work hard. Like you should have just came and asked me sooner. And I was like, if I would have known I could just ask you. I would have done that two years yeah. ago. Like, um, anyway, so I, I got on special teams. I was on kickoff return. And then we were playing OU. And uh, the guy in front of me, like, hurt his foot. So uh, the second half of OU is my first time, like, actually getting on the field um, and playing special teams. And then I did start on special teams the rest of the year. And then I got in on two or three games at receiver um, just, you know, handful of plays here and there, um, when our starter, like was tired or whatever. Um, so that was extremely fun. Just, you know, the, the playing a couple of times on offense, that was fun, but being able to start on special teams on kickoff return and be out there every game, 
um, was pretty special. And it, it definitely made the practices worth it. And then, you know, hopefully this year and the next year I play more and more and, you know, get a starting spot on offense. And, but it was, it was awesome, but it was also a COVID season. So, mm-hmm. you know, the crowds weren't there, you know, so it's, it's only going to be, you know, get better from here. I was going to ask, like, I mean, were, were you guys, were most of the places you guys played, was there, was there crowds at all? I mean, we asked 25% for some of them or were they pretty empty? We had, um, everywhere we played, we were able to have, 25% crowds except Kansas camp. Mm. Uh, yeah, we didn't have anyone for Kansas. Um, so it was, it was cool. Like there, to have some people there was fun. Um, but obviously nothing like a full stadium, you know, playing at OU or whatever. So yeah, hopefully this next year, you know, 50 it's be a little different. not hundred, like, yeah, like let's <laughs> come on, let's pack the stadiums. I think we're all ready for it. Yeah. I, I think, uh, it's probably going to be a little different going into going into OU and there's what, what 100,000, 80,000 people there or whatever it is. I mean, there's some of those stadiums are massive. That's got to be incredible. Yeah, yeah that, it's going to be so fun. And, and you know, Big 12 is awesome. It's like there's so many, you know, it's, it's different from the SEC where you got some, you got some obviously powerhouses and you got some guys that are not as good. We're in the Big 12. Um, a lot of the time we're so similar, you know, that OU has been dominant um, obviously the past couple of years, but on you know um not this year but the year before we lost OU by four points and we had the ball you know with the ability to score when the game so everyone's super even um it's so fun to play at all those places Oklahoma State Oklahoma um you know Tech Baylor all the Texas rivals um playing at UT so all that is extremely fun and and why I wanted to come to TCU rather than you know go to SMU or or a different school where I know maybe I could start day one Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been fun and hopefully with, you know, the vaccine and COVID and all that, it's going to be even more fun. Yeah. I can't, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm hoping that this, this fall, we get some, some packed stadiums. Um, I, I already have a date plan or not a date necessarily, but a, uh, standing invitation to go to a game at Penn state. So I have to, we got to make sure the season nice. happens. We get some capacity so that I can make a trip out there and, uh, and, and fill my Saturdays up. Like it's meant to be on my couch. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. What, what's your uh, college team? I got to go with my, with, with my alma mater with Nevada. Um, yeah. That, you know, I went there, I, I need them to win. I coached at the rival at UNLV. And so, mm-hmm. and they, they've had a, a tough go around with football uh, recently or for a yeah. while. Um, but, you know, I got a, I got a pull for the alma mater. So yeah. other than that, it's just, it's the it's whatever wacky Pac-12 game is going to be on at eight o'clock. That's going to you know something know. unexpected or a Big 12 yeah. game that there's going to be a, you know 200 points scored. I mean, gotta enjoy. It, <laughs> no what. I know. Hopefully, we can get back to that. TCU offense oh, yeah. has been uh, not like it needs to be, where we're we're scoring or scoring those crazy numbers. So I I would love for us to get back to that next year for sure. So what what is after you get you know finish football, you graduate, you get finance degree. You know what's the hope from there? Um, you know, the, the pipe dream is, um, I become a beast tight end and I get drafted and play in the NFL, but the very more likely scenario is, you know, um, like I said, I have a long-term girlfriend, um, Hannah, I love her dearly. Um, we've been dating since high school. So, um, you know, finish out my degree, um, hopefully get married soon after that and just go on with life. You know, a bunch of my, my buddies are playing pro ball there in, in their league so go support them watch them 
Um, but just, just enjoy the people around me and, you know, try out the finance and, and see how I like that. Um, but you know, I, I love, I love baseball. I love football. I love sports and coaching it. I don't, I don't want to get into coaching and in the aspect of, I know the time intensity and, and especially coaching in pro ball, like the, the, um, it pulls you away from your family a little bit, but, um, Man, I, I just love, I don't know if it's a, that's a volunteer job, maybe um, just helping guys with their swings or something, but, you know, something that obviously I'm passionate about and that I'm able to wake up every day, you know, not, you know, not dreading my job because that's definitely something I don't want to do. No, there, there is a, uh, there's a satisfaction for sure about doing things that you love. I mean, it's without a doubt, like you don't, don't dread getting up in the morning and you don't dread getting into the car when it's, you know, when it's not cold here, cause it's going to be 81 year round, no matter what. So yeah. it's 200 in the summer, but I mean, you know, you do what you love. It makes it a lot more fun. The other thing I'm glad we get to talk about, which I, I obviously wouldn't normally with a, you know, 18 year old college athlete is uh, the gentleman behind you on that cart. Uh, yeah. Your, your newfound enjoyment of whiskey. Yeah, it's, it's been a it's super, like I said, um, awesome experience and um, hobby to get into. Mm -hmm. And and I laugh too, because, you know, my, my, my roommates, they're, you know, seniors, they're, um, but you don't get into whiskey usually till, till almost later in life, or maybe it's just, it's a, <laughs> it's a new thing that, you know, has blown up recently. So, um, all the people that share my whiskey, um, you know, fanatics are, are my, my, my dad, my dad's <laughs> friends, my uncles, you know, so it's like, it's been, it's, it's honestly awesome. Um, but I can't I can't experience, you know, the love of whiskey and, um, with just, you know, all my friends here. So it, it's cool to come on and talk about it. The, what's okay. So, so far, what's your, uh, what's your go-to, like, what's your, what is your everyday? Like, if you're going to come home again, Sorry, Coach Patterson, but like if you're gonna come home and sit down after <laughs> practice and have a have a glass of whiskey, like what do you have? Yeah, uh, we just I just finished the Wild Turkey 101, so I would have to mm -hmm. go with that just because everyone everyone raves about it, and yeah. I'm still new in the journey where um, it's hard to pinpoint why I like something or why I don't, and I and I'm trying the best I can to not say smooth as much as you know everyone like. <laughs> Yep. So I'm trying to describe it in different ways, but, um, you know, if it's something that I can drink that has some great flavor and it's not just super thin, then, um, then I'll go with that. So I'll say the wild turkey one-on-one, but there's so many good things. Like, you know, I'm looking at Elijah Craig right here, small mm -hmm. batch, and that's good. And then a bunch of these things behind me, which are awesome, but, you know, I haven't, um, cracked open just cause they're a little special. And so I would say wild turkey one-on-one, uh, what about you? What's your go-to? My, my go-to is the Russell's reserve 10 year. And it's the same. It's actually the same mash bill as the wild Turkey one Oh one. Um, it's made exactly the same. It's just proofed down a little bit more. Um, you know, it's a 10 year old age stated bottle. I really like it. The one I would say is like comparable in terms of, and wild Turkey one Oh one is like, for me, it's that one's like $10 less than the Russell's reserve 10 year. And so I'm good with either one of those. Those two are like neck and neck. Um, Eagle rare would be up there for me. The only problem with Eagle rare is like, it becomes difficult to find. And so it's, and it's not like an expensive bottle. 
I mean, here I get it for 30 bucks and it's great. But then you see people paying like unreal amounts of money for it. And it's, yeah. so it's hard to say like, is it worth it? I mean, and, and that's like always a big question. Is it worth it? Like if it's worth it to you, if you like it, then yes, it's worth it. Yeah. I, again, I like it. I like it for 30 bucks, but I also know I wouldn't pay $60 for it. You know, Blanton's you pay $60 for it, but you're not gonna pay, you know, 150 for it. Yeah. So no, yeah, I, what, what I don't like here, um, Texas, like you only can buy alcohol through liquor stores mm -hmm. and through, you know, like you can't go to Walmart and, and get alcohol. So, um, or liquor. And so in that way, I don't know if it's just here, it's just my city or what, but man, everything, the prices are, are extremely expensive. And, yeah. and I hate that, you know, I know certain States have laws against that. Um, and I don't know what Arizona's is, but I mean, the, the wild, the Eagle rare, you know, I asked for it for Christmas. I know it's, mm -hmm. it's not an expensive bottle, but, um, the liquor store bar house had it for a hundred dollars. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I know that's not a hundred dollar whiskey, yeah. but you know, where else are you going to find it? And you're right. so I, I, I really don't like that because I love, I love buying different bottles just to have in the collection. Cause I hear so much about it. I watch so many videos about it. They look so cool, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, it, it makes me mad when I know people can buy balls for $30 and they're 60 at that places that I go. And it's, it's frustrating. Cause I don't want to spend that money, you know? No. It, and that's, I think that that's kind of what kills like the whole whiskey industry as a whole is those things. And not, and not only that, like, I'll give you an example. The other day I was at Walmart or Walmart here. So has it like the best whiskey collection. I've got Blanton's there. I've gotten Weller there. And they had Weller Special Reserve for $29. And they had Weller 12 for $37. And I went on Drizzly and the Weller Special Reserve was $109. And oh the gosh. Weller 12 was $199. And so if you're, again, to each their own, but why would you not, if I see a dozen Weller 12 sitting there and I can get them for $37 and sell them for $200, the only reason yeah. I don't is because I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, I hate that guy. You know, he's that that guy ruins our enjoyment of it. You know, and it drives those prices. Like, the th you got three bottles behind you that get so marked up between the Buffalo Trace, the Eagle Rare, mm -hmm. and the Blantons. It's crazy, and you can find them for cheaper. But when people drive the prices up, you're either forced to not have it or you you pay it. It's yeah, like for the, for the Blantons, you know, that's obviously what everyone talks about recently, and I've seen on the shelf one time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I paid $150 for it yeah. and I'm, and I'm glad I did because it, it's extremely special for me. I'm going to crack it open when my family gets together, mm -hmm. you know, on a boy's trip or something, but I had Blanton's for the first time at a restaurant and, you know, $15 a glass, $10 mm -hmm. a glass, whatever. Um, and you know, it was, it was awesome. It was extremely, you know, smooth, but it was, it was super easy to drink, great flavor, mm -hmm. but it felt a little thin. Um, and I know a lot of like true whiskey fanatics, like love blends, but they're not going to pay above market mm -hmm. for it. And once I had it, I agreed. I was like, this is an amazing whiskey, mm -hmm. but I don't want to, I can see why people say I'm not going to pay over $60 for it or yeah. whatever it retails for. And so in that way, it kind of, it kind of hurts me. Cause I'm like, Oh, I've, you know, I did pay over market for it and I'm glad I did, but yeah. I can see why. And it, and it kind of like taints the, just you know, the whiskey for you. And I kind of, mm -hmm. I don't like that. Yeah. I think it gets down to a point. Like if it's worth it to you again, if it's worth it to you, you pay, you pay for it. 
Yeah. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just, unfortunately people have found that they can take advantage of those things. Um, I've gotten, I've gotten really a lot of these craft distilleries have been sending me bottles and samples and um, you know, they are really, really good bottles of whiskey. Unfortunately, sometimes the price is more indicative of the rarity than it is the quality. And some of them are really good. There's a couple of them that I would not buy. And like, once it's gone, you'll probably never see it on my shelf again. However, it's tasty, but it's like, are you going to spend $90 on that bottle? It's, it just doesn't mean enough to me. I have a bottle of wild Turkey, 17 year bottled and bond. It was expensive. I mean, I spent like 200 bucks on it, but it's their second bottled and bond they've ever come out with. It's 17 years old. Like it's just an Oak bomb. And I was saving it for my 40th birthday. And you know, lo and behold, I opened it up the night the Dodgers won the World Series, and then the next time was on my birthday. So, yeah. like, it is worth it. It's a special occasion one because I always remember what I was drinking when the Dodgers won the World Series, mm-hmm. um, just like for you sure. were with the Blantons that you bought. You know, even though you paid more for it than you would have liked to. Yeah, but it's. Yeah, I think so. the part of the fun is finding the ones that you can drink every day that aren't going to break the bank, and then having your, you know, your other ones that are there that you can really enjoy with. It, more for the moment and for the group than just, you know, exactly what you're drinking. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, like I said, my, my dad, my uncles, my cousin, um, they're definitely into whiskey as well. And so I texted them, you know, a week ago and say, Hey, we need a golf trip, whiskey trip. Let's get that plan. Like that would be so fun just to share in those experiences. And mm-hmm. I know so many people that have whiskey collections, um, that they love just to experience with experience it mm-hmm. with people and like that that just makes it and so um i love collecting bottles and, and getting um you know awesome whiskey products but it's what i like the best is being able to share it with other people that enjoy it uh and that want to try it and that just makes it all the better 100 like if i've you know somebody comes over to my house and they want to get something and try it like by all means get in there have it you know because it's again, like people have some, it's like, there's, you watch some of these bourbon channels on YouTube, for example, and they've got really awesome bourbon collections, you know, and they've got some really hard to find bottles. They've got a ton of people donating to their, to their pages. And they're spending a lot of money on bottles that are really hard to find. And, and it's great. As long as you open it up, like you have to drink it, you have to enjoy it because there's a time and a place to have those just collecting them. So it looks like a museum doesn't really do you any good, you know? So it's like, have stuff you're going to enjoy. And if you have an expensive bottle, like if you know, somebody's going to enjoy it and get, get a kick out of having, you know, a sample of Pappy, then by all means, like share that and let them enjoy it. Cause for yourself, if you're going to drink it by yourself, sitting on the couch, like, what does that do? Yeah, that's nothing. Um, have you gotten to, I know I've watched a lot of your videos, if not all of them. Um, you said you like Irish and you Mm -hmm. started in Irish. Have you gotten into scotch or what else have you kind of tried, liked, or didn't like? I've got, I've got one bottle of Japanese. I've got Hibiki Harmony, um, and that's it's good. I'm glad I have it. It's kind of the same thing. It's not super expensive. I mean, for the, for the, for what you're drinking, like I think it's fine. I think you would have it, and go, yeah, that's good, you know. But it's nothing. There's nothing really special about it. Um, so, and, and that one to me, and I heard like the. Hibiki 21 is really good. However, again, you're, you're talking about a $60 bottle versus a $300 bottle. Like I didn't love the yeah. harmony enough to go, wow, I really like that. Like, <laughs> let's see what their step up is for $300. Yeah. Um, yeah. so the Japanese ones, like I would definitely try it. 
um, scotch I've not gotten into and not because of any other reason other than those price points seem to jump very quickly. And mm -hmm. like, you can get a very what, like monkey shoulder, you can spend, you know, 25, $30 on and it's fine. Like it'll work as a scotch, you know, it's, but it's not, there's nothing special about it, but it's, it's 30 bucks. The oh. jump from there to like a $50 bottle, which you can get a lot of really good bourbons for $50. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of prevented me from getting into scotch. Now I do have the Ardbeg Wee Beastie scotch mm -hmm. and that's just, it's super peaty. I really like that. Those Isla scotches. I mean, the different regions of Scotland that have their, yeah. their distilleries. It's interesting to learn about. I just haven't got into enough of the areas to know enough about them. Um, so I haven't dove into like scotch very much. I've got, I've got doers, um, the white label, just cause my dad likes it. So when he, if he's ever here, like I've got doers waiting for him. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's it with the scotch. How about you? Have you gotten into any? Um, I wanted to have a couple scotches just in the collection, just to have, you know, people wanted it to, you know, and so I, I wanted just the mainstream. I wanted the Lafroig. I wanted the Ardbeg, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a, reasonably priced McCowan, but mm -hmm. um i saw the freud 10 on you know one dinner menu so like perfect let me try it that was the worst thing i've ever drank <laughs> in my life and I, I i'm gonna go back and try it again um and i'm glad i tried it because now i definitely don't want to spend 60 dollars on a bottle yeah. yet but um i tried on the rocks man i took a sip and it was terrible and i waited about 30 minutes took another sip um, and I, I just pushed it to the side. Like mm -hmm. I, I didn't get the, 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 you know, smokiness where people say like, it's like eating a campfire or drinking a campfire, mm -hmm. but I definitely got that, you know, iodine type. It was yeah. felt like I was drinking perfume yeah. and it was terrible. Uh, and so that was once, um, a thought that I wanted to get, you know, those Arbeg and Lefroy and just having the collection cause they look cool. Um, but now I'm like, eh, maybe not. So yeah. I might try to, once I get, once I kind of cover the bourbon section without getting, you know, the, the, the special releases, just the, the standards, um, yeah. you know, getting a rare breed or getting this, getting that, then I'll probably jump into some, um, Irish, maybe, um, maybe some Japanese, but, mm -hmm. um, so I, I dipped my toe in a little with the scotch and the Lafroig. And it was tough. Now I do have a um, monkey shoulder here, mm -hmm. which um, like it? I know that's definitely, I haven't, I haven't opened it yet. I've been meaning to and waiting, but again, you know, my roommates don't really love it. Um, and I don't really just want to just drink by myself, especially something I'm trying. If it's something yeah. I like, then okay, great. But if it's a new experience, I don't really want to do it by myself. So I haven't cracked it open yet, but um, I think, I will, I think I it's eventually. fine. I think it's fine. Like, I don't think it's, yeah. there's, there's nothing about it that you're going to go like, oh my God, this is incredible. Um, but I think it's totally fine for like, a, the, to me again, without having scotch knowledge, I would say yeah. it's probably like a good everyday scotch. That's what I would yeah. assume. I, I really like that Ardbeg Wee Beastie. It's like a five-year-old. It's, it's really peated. I mean, I really like that. I, what I would like to do, I would like to have a bottle from like each region of Scotland, have like the space side and the Isla and the islands and you know, the mm -hmm. uh, highlands, all those, I would like to have like one bottle from each of them just to offer yeah, if somebody cool. comes over. But like, you know, some of those bottles that are good, but not great, like they're still running a hundred bucks. 
So it's hard to like justify trying a bottle for a hundred dollars. Yeah. I, the, the doers is fine for me. The Chivas, actually the Chivas like 18 year is under a hundred dollars. And that's really good for me. Um, that I really like that one. And it's a, you know, it's a step up. It's a little more aged. Um, it's probably not going to win awards in terms of Scotch fans, but I did like that. Like the Irish ones, like, you know, I went to Ireland two years in a row and man, I, I love Irish whiskey. I really love it. And Teeling is my go-to. I'm a huge fanboy of Teeling and I'm not afraid to hide it. <laughs> they just came out with a, a peated one called Black Pits. Um, <clears throat> it's very unique. Like I love that one. Um, they do all these different cask finishes that are really unique. Um, even just their general, like their standard small batch is outstanding. But we did actually James Wildbrenner and I did a blind tasting of five different Irish whiskeys. We had Jameson, Tullamore uh, Bushmills, Powers, and Teeling. And Teeling and Powers were by far the best. Um, but part of it might have been the finishes out that are on it. It adds a little bit of sweetness. Uh, we added a Sexton in there, which was fine. I, I like that one too. Um, they're all good. Like other than proper 12, and I say that knowing I'm offending Conor McGregor, um, I'll, I, I really like Irish whiskey a lot. So you didn't like proper 12? No, I didn't care for it. It just did, and it, and it wasn't like that. It was bad because even for me, like I really liked Tullamore Dew, and we went to Tullamore when we were in Ireland, and mm-hmm. I and I really liked it. It's a it's tasty. It's like Redbreast Twelve, for example. It's really good. There's to me, there's nothing special about it. Like there's nothing unique about it, and it's not to say it's bad. It's just like that's where Teeling for me is a step ahead because there is a like a special factor to it where the Tullamore, even the 15 year old that I have, it's good. It tastes really nice. It's just like, it's, it's a good whiskey and it's not overly expensive. I mean, it's under a hundred dollars and it's an aged, you know, Irish whiskey, but I don't know. Get a sample. Yeah. I I definitely want to try them just to be, you know, versed in what I like and what I don't like. Now, how did you do the uh, blind tasting? Do you have someone else pour it for you or how how do you do it? If you're, both doing the double blind you know how did you how'd y'all do that tasting well we were going to do originally my wife was going to do the pour for us but she ended up having to go to work that day um so when james came over he poured them um like wrote out cards of you know a b c and d or whatever um he's like he didn't really remember which was which because he was kind of focused on the whiskey Uh, i had no idea which one they were um, but we were actually pretty spot on with our like opinions of each one that we, what that we tried. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's hard. Like it might, it's good if you can have a third person pour them and just, you know, yeah. you have a and a and B and B and you match them up. But if you don't, then, you know, it's, it's, as far as I know, like one person's going to kind of know what they are. Yeah. You just have to try not to remember gotcha. them. Um, I did a tasting for my, my family, um, back over Christmas, um, and that was extremely fun. And because no one, I mean, my, my brothers-in-law, I have two sisters and they're married and they uh, both like whiskey. Um, and then, you know, my parents are not drinkers. Like, you know, honestly, no one in my family are really drinkers, mm-hmm. including myself. But um, I obviously have had this new, you know, passion hobby of whiskey. So I, I gave them six whiskeys and we had um, Bullet, we had um, Wild Turkey, Elijah Craig, Woodford Reserve, Jim Bean, and uh, Buffalo Trace. 
And so I, you know, they had three and three and they had, they picked their favor the first three of the second three and then their overall. And I kind of figured this might happen, but it's extremely funny. Everyone except one picked Jim Bean as their ultimate favorite whiskey. And it's just because, you know, they're not whiskey people. So it's easy to drink. It's got flavor. Mm -hmm. It's, it's thin, like it's, it doesn't burn you. And so um, one of my brothers-in-law, he, he likes whiskey. He, he, you know, buys Eagle Rare a lot. That's his favorite. And so he was so crushed when he said, uh, he found out he, he picked Jim Bean as his ultimate favorite. He, he was so crushed. So that was such a fun experience, um, that I got to, uh, share with them and, yeah. and everything. So yeah, that was cool. I think there it's valuable to do those things because you start to find out like, are, are you attracted to the brand and knowing what it is? Like if you have mm -hmm. Pappy 23, is it really good? Cause you know, it's Pappy 23 or is it really good because it tastes really good? You know? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't really know. Um, I got a, I recently got into rye. Actually, that's what I switched to right here is the, the Sazerac rye. Yeah. Um, but recently got into them and I hadn't been into them and it was, I was up in um, like Northern Arizona and there was a little liquor store that I'd heard about. So I went in there, good prices, really good selection and just started chatting with the guy about rye and said, Hey, I'm not, I'm not, I, I haven't dove into them yet. And he got me samples of different whistle pigs and it was like the 10, 12 and 15 year whistle pigs. And they were unreal. Like I couldn't believe how good they were. But the price difference between the 10 year and the 15 year didn't match the quality, in my opinion. Like, if you know it's the 15 year, it's going to taste better to you. And so I think when you don't know, it's probably better just to sample them that way because it's like, if you really like it, why not get it? If, if, it, if it costs you $12, get that one. You know, don't yeah. spend the money on something other than saving it for like a special occasion if you don't really have to because you don't know the difference. Yeah, I agree. Um, have you had or have in your collection or tried or what's your experience with Pappies or I see that uh, stag behind you, stag junior. Um, I, I just got that. I got that yesterday. I've never had it before. Oh, nice. Nice. Just got when, it. Did you find it? Someone sent it to you or what? Yeah, no, I, I walked in. I, so, so this one, it's, it's 131 proof, by the way. Um, yeah. I, I went, I went to go and get, um, so a friend of mine sent my wife and I some organic wine. And it was really good. And so I wanted to get there, you know, on, like early yesterday because I had stuff to get done. And so I went there like right when it opened and I got there and I saw it sitting on the shelf and I was like, Hey, you guys, you have stag like on the little customer service counter. And he goes, yeah, we got three bottles. I'm like, let's, let's do that. Cause I'd never had one. And it, you know, it's retail, it was at retail price. So was it liquor store or like Walmart? Like, where, where total wine. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I need to do that. So I got that one. And then I picked up a bottle for one of the other coaches that was that's down in the Dominican that was asking for something. And so I have not had Pappy. I've never had it. Um, I've never had any of the B-Tax, um, the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, like the Stag, um, the George T. Stag, Thomas Handy. Yeah. Um, but the Eagle Rare 17 would be like my Great White Buffalo. That's the one I'm dying to try. Um, uh just for the sake of the fact that I really like Eagle rare. Um, yeah. and, and Pappy, like I like, I really like weeded bourbons. Um, but you know, if you can get Pappy at retail, again, you can get a couple of them under a hundred dollars and even like the 23 at retail, like total wine just had their drawing. If you're in their grand reserve thing, you win the drawing and you can buy it at retail, which is like 200 and something dollars, which is again, 
I don't, I don't spend 200 something dollars on bourbon, you know, but you know, that's a, that, that bottle on secondary markets going for like $8,000. I mean, I saw it on the oh shelf gosh. for $8,000, Wow. you know? So no, I haven't, I haven't gotten into those yet. Um, the, that, um, the wild Turkey 17 years, the most expensive one I have personally, I've got two bottles of, um, uh, blue label of Johnny Walker, blue label one I bought for my wedding to share with my groomsmen. And the other one was a gift for my wedding. Um, and again, it's like, it's fine. I would never buy it again. I have no interest yeah. in buying that again. Uh-huh. You know, there's nothing about it. That's, that's particularly special. If you didn't know it was blue label, you wouldn't care. Yeah. So well, I saw on uh, your Facebook page, um, you know, it, someone shared a, you know, charity auction um, mm-hmm. for, you know, buy a raffle ticket and the lineup that they had, I was just drooling over mm-hmm. just because, and I know I would never win that. And I, I haven't, you know, bought a raffle ticket, a hundred dollars yeah. ticket. And I don't, I don't want to throw away a hundred dollars, but in the back of your mind, you're just like, but what if, just what one. if you get all of the, like, Oh what? my gosh, that would, I know that, that's insane. So, um, and, um, another funny story, Cody Thomas, um, he, we were talking we were golfing a couple uh, month ago or so. And I was telling him about whiskey and stuff. And he said, yeah, for his bachelor party, um, his future father-in-law and also agent, you know, Bobby Witt senior got him, um, some pappies. And, and I was like, Oh, that's sick. Like, did, like you save it, you have some, he's like, oh yeah, we crushed the whole bottle that night. And I was like, oh, no way. I was like, in one, that's awesome. Like, that's exactly what it's for. And two, I was like, no, I want to try some. Like, oh my gosh, that's sick. I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I want to try it. I don't care. I'm, I'm never going to buy a bottle above retail price. Um, yeah. Because again, like it's, I think, I think people like the bourbon fanboys, they get a, they get a bottle and it's like they taste it thinking that this magical like thing is going to happen. You know, it's like new year's Eve at midnight, some magic's going to happen. Like it's really not. And it's going to be, it's going to taste like bourbon and it's probably going to be good bourbon. Um, but I've also heard so many stories about people that paid over what they should have for Pappy and said, eh, it's just okay. Like, yeah. Again, is it the bourbon or is it the knowing it's Pappy? Um, mm. Where do I have? There's a book. So this book here called Pappy Land by Wright mm-hmm. Thompson. First of all, this guy's an incredible writer, but he, he spent a bunch of time with um, Julian Van Winkle with the like Pappy Van Winkle's uh, grandson. And he writes a story about, you know, the family would go to a bar and he would order Pappy with, with a twist of lime or a twist of lemon on the rocks, you know, and bartenders were like, dude, don't do that. And he goes, what's well, my family's stuff. And like, if you like it like that, that's, you know, that's how you drink it. You just drink it that way. You know, if that's what you're yeah. into, but man, paying over, over that to that extent is, is just tough for me. Cause there's a lot of really good bottles under $50. You can make a really nice bar under $50, yeah. you know? And if you, if you get into some rise, some bourbons, you know, even some American whiskeys, get some Irish, you know, you can really create a nice bar under $50 a bottle very easily. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to break the bank. And, no. um, and especially if you do, if you're able to buy them at retail, then that's even more, how long did it take you to kind of, um, pick out the different tasting notes and actually kind of know what you're drinking and not just say like, yeah, this, this tastes good. I'm slowly getting there, but, um, when did that process kind of happen? 
for me, what it's been more like is accepting the fact that your tasting notes are very personal because I've gone like, um, I follow all like all those accounts, ADHD, whiskey, bourbon junkies, um, mash and drum. Like those guys are really good. And you can watch all three of those guys taste the same bottle and they're going to get different tasting notes. Each person's very different. Um, whiskey vault, you know, it's another one that's really popular and, and they're outstanding. He's got a massive collection of, of bottles of whiskey, but they will smell the same exact thing and get two very different things. One guy goes, oh, I got a lot of banana and the guy, other guy goes, oh, I got a lot of mint. It's like, well, those aren't really close. You know, how does one guy get banana and one guy gets mint? Yeah. But so I think, I think for one, it's like, it's very subjective. And so for one, I think it's, it's figuring out what you get out of it, identifying it. And it doesn't have to be right or wrong. You know, even if, even when you go on to like the websites of some of these places, like old forester, you're always going, I always get some sort of banana out of old forester. Um, uh, it's just what it is. And you know, certain, certain whiskeys, you get citrus, certain, certain ones, you get that leather tobacco, um, oaky you know type of a type of a scent or taste and so like i think you just you, you figure it out and, and you get what you get and you just kind of go with that and it doesn't have to match up to what anybody else says because there's not there's really not a right or wrong because they aren't adding flavor to it it's it's just it's taking out the flavor coming out of the oak during the aging process so you're not there's not like you're not wrong if you're going you know what i really get a strong like banana or creme brulee or something like that it's not wrong um one thing i've had to get better at is is separating like the nose from the taste because like that old forester 1920 you smell it and you're going man that is really sweet i mean it's fruity it's sweet it's really nice and then you take a sip expecting that and it's 115 proof of like spice and oak and you're yeah, going holy yeah. cow like that is way <laughs> different so yeah. yeah i think it's it's just keeping it making it personal and not they're not thinking that there's a right or wrong with it, I think is really the key to me. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm getting there, but um, mm -hmm. I, I definitely can, when I taste different whiskeys, I need to do more of the, you know, A to A to B comparison where you have them both with you. Um, but just going from one, one day and another, the ne next day, I'm like, I don't, can't say why this is different, but I definitely know there's, there's differences. And and I really like this one compared to that one. Um, my, my buddy's dad, he um, is well into whiskey as well. And he gave me this and he takes his oh, old yeah. bottles and cuts it and just mm -hmm. has them around. I think these are the coolest thing. And yeah. so he gave me this Buffalo Trace one. And um, I was like, dude, that's sweet. You should do like a yeah. little side hustle for it. But um, I, I love just, like I said, collecting the bottles. And I, I've collected all my empty bottles too, just mm -hmm. um, just because why not you know i keep the, so, I keep the, the there's, i got a tealing thing back there like the, all, all the i just keep the caps the caps are cool yeah. i keep the caps but you know my wife got me the blanton's candle up there um this here oh, is that's a, cool it's a whiskey they're whiskey socks um you know and it came in like a little whiskey barrel like there's a lot of really cool stuff that's out there and yeah. it makes the, it makes the hobby a lot of fun what's that uh blanton's candle like is it just I haven't yeah. burned it yet. Is it supposed to smell like Blanton's? Like, is that no, the thing? Or? I, don't, I don't think like it I, smells like Blanton's. It's just, they, yeah. uh, I think it's just something that they make. Um, but yeah, I really dig it. The, the owner of Frey Ranch sent me like a cool, he sent me one of these Glen Karens up here. He sent me like a little handkerchief and a tape measure and 
Um, yeah, like the people in that industry are just so cool because they're so invested in it personally that it makes it a lot of fun to like get involved with, you know? And and I think the people, the people are cool, but then like the fans can kind of ruin it. Like the bookers back behind me. I mean, it's Uh really good, but the fact that it's, it's, um, it's fairly scrutinized and I don't know if it's right or wrong or if it's fair necessarily, um, but it's, you know, there's history behind it and it's cool. And I'm glad I have a bottle, but we used to buy it for like $40 less than it's going, getting sold for right now. Um, yeah, yeah I don't, there's, there's a lot of really good options. And then like out of Texas, what's funny is there's, you start to see a lot of like really small distilleries coming out of Texas and they're really highly thought of like Bal- Balcones or Balcones. Uh, Balcones, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like people love them and they've had one bottle and I honestly, like in the most polite way possible, it was awful. I hated it. I I had to put so much ice in it and have a cigar with it for it to be drinkable. Um, Uh Now, in fairness, I got their like lowest level one. I didn't buy the, you know, a special edition or anything. I bought like just their standard pot still. And I thought it was horrible. Um, Yeah. You know, Garrison Brothers is, I've never had it. I've had a couple of sips, but it's just beloved by the fans. And, you know, those are going to, their standards are going to run you like 75 bucks or more um, every single time, you know, Um, Iron Root, they're sending me samples, which I'm excited about, but it's the same thing. Like they get, they get expensive, but they're a little bit uh, more affordable than some of the other ones, but there's a lot of, a lot of distilleries popping up. Breckenridge out of Colorado was great. Um, Chattanooga out of Chattanooga was awesome. Um, so like there's, there's a lot of cool distilleries popping up. Yeah. I haven't tried the Balcones one. Um, I know they have so many different, um, variations of what they do, which is pretty cool. Um, the one that I don't like right now, I don't know if it'll change probably will. Um, but you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Buffalo Trace. just, you know, their flagship one. And I don't know it's because I'm not used to the pepper note as much um, as the different weeded bird bourbons. Um, and so it's just a little bit harder to drink than some of the other ones I got. And I almost hate that I don't like it because I know everyone loves it. And it's such a cool bottle, cool story. It's, you know, I love the distillery, um, but, you know, just right now it's, it's not the favorite. Um, so, yeah, everyone has their own preferences and that's great. And, um, you know, you said one of the Whiskey Tribe YouTube channels, which I, I love them as well. You know, they, they say, you know, whiskey's best of how you like to drink it. And that's mm-hmm. all that matters, you know. So I, I definitely, you know, agree to that statement. Yeah. That, and that's, the, I think that's where people like kind of go wrong on it is like, there's not like, if you like it, drink it. Like, I don't care if you want Coke in it. I, I'm not yeah. putting Coke in it. I, but if you like that, by all means, do it but you, you drink it how you want. And, and again, like you mentioned the story, it's like Buffalo trace for me is fine. Like I would never hunt for it. If it's mm-hmm. there, I like having some of it like on hand. Um, this is my decanter, the baseball decanter, you yeah, know, and, and I have um, old Forester 100 in there. It's $18. It tastes great. Every time you drink it. Um, uh-huh. It's very simple, you know, but people are, they go crazy for that Buffalo trace. And I just don't, I don't, there's nothing special about it. Um, the story, you know, like, you know, it's a bourbon company. Like, like we talked about before we started the, um, uncle nearest, that's Mm -hmm. a cool story. Like Mm -hmm. he was a slave 
making whiskey and like responsible for being the biggest whiskey company in the world. I mean, that that's a cool story. Yeah. So you get caught up in some of those and like, you can, you can get excited about them, but others it's like, you know what, just cause everybody likes it doesn't mean you have to like it. But Yeah. Th- this whole thing has been an awesome, you know, journey and just mm-hmm. a fun, fun habit and hobby to kind of get into. Um, I need to be better at, you know, like you, you, read about a bottle and you hear about a bottle for months and then it's like oh you finally see one on the shelves it's like great i'm gonna buy it but like we said before if it's a little bit too expensive and it's like no you're still paying 60 bucks like mm. a lot a 60 bucks can go a lot you know for a lot of different things so yeah. you know kind of you got to separate your your hobby and your passion a little bit with just of what's reasonable and um, what mm-hmm. makes sense but um it's been it's been super fun and something you know, unique that I've, I've gotten into lately. So I, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, that's, it's been, it's, I, I think you'll enjoy it the more you get into it. And I think, you know, you, again, it's not like, I don't sit here and like pound whiskey and get hammered, you know, like, yeah. but, but it is fun. Like I, again, I'm all nerd out for a minute, but it's fun because I have like this little book that, you know, I'll write down like what I'm drinking and write like tasting notes and look things up about it. So you understand like, Hey, what is this match bill? Like, if I'm, if cool. I'm having um, Elijah Craig, Elijah Craig small batch, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm going Elijah Craig small batch, it used to have a 12 year age statement on it and it doesn't anymore. So typically I think it's about nine years old. Well, like, I think this is one of the best buys for the money. I really think this is awesome. Yeah. So if you start looking at different products that come out of heaven Hill, like what are their mash bills? Like, how does that compare with Larceny where Larceny is a weeded bourbon what's their content of corn, rye, malted barley, wheat, like how do they, how do these things compare to each other? And then you find other bottles like the, the Russell's reserve compared with the wild Turkey one-on-one. Um, how do they compare to each other? You know, how does it taste when it's proofed down, but the mash bill is the same, but then the char could be a little different or the toast could be a little different. Like there's just so many different like intricacies involved in it that I think are, are that it makes the hobby really exciting and, yeah. and learning about it makes it fun. Yeah totally agree so keep keep going with it but uh yeah I'll have i need to... to try i need to try rye next that's it's definitely um i was a little scared at first of rye just because um i knew it, mm-hmm. i didn't like the pepper yeah but you know and and a lot of times too like the people that love you know the art bag it's like they don't like it because it's easy to drink they like because there's so many like different flavors and yeah. nuances to it they're like it just like if you're ready for it, then it's fine. If it mm-hmm. if you're thinking you're drinking, you know, Jim Bean and you drink some Ardbeg, like that's way different. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to. I'll definitely try to get into rye. I think the Bullet rye. I think I was said someone was good, or maybe the ten year mm-hmm. Bullet. I don't know, but um, definitely kind of want to get into that as well. If you if you want to try rye, I would recommend the Rittenhouse because it's. Okay you know, bourbon has to be 51% corn where rye has to be for to be a rye whiskey. It has to be 51% rye. So Rittenhouse is actually 51% rye and there's a higher corn content as the secondary grain. And so you get that sweetness from the corn, but it is still technically a rye. So it's like the rye is going to, it's not overpowering. Um, but it's definitely going to give you like that example of it's, it's rye first it's rye forward versus like just a high rye whiskey. And then you can start to move it like the Michter's is good. It's like, you know, 40 bucks. Um, and then you can start to get into some of the higher ones like this one here. This is 100% rye. 
Okay. (laughs) It's a hundred percent rye and it's finished in a Bordeaux barrel. So like, it's really unique, but that, but if it didn't have that Bordeaux finish, which is really fruity, I don't know if I could go with that. Yeah. hundred percent rye spice. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, dig into those things. I think you'll enjoy them. So. Okay. Definitely. Mitchell, I don't want to take up your entire day, but I, I do appreciate your talk. And again, man, like from our time together with the Dodgers, man, I, I, you're a first-class human and I wish you nothing but the best. And I know you're going to be successful in everything you do. And uh, I can't wait to see TCU filled up next year and, uh, and watch you out there running some routes. Thanks, Tommy, for having me on. Um, yeah, this is awesome. I would love to come on again another time. We can dive into anything else and go deeper into whatever, but talking whiskey is always fun talking baseball football you know who doesn't want to talk about those things so it's been a pleasure awesome man can't we'll do it again for sure i appreciate it all right take care